How's that? Listen, need- perfect. Okay. So uh, how's it going, everyone? Today we have our very special guest. Uh, part of my youth growing up is uh, Mr. Sam Jones, which you should recognize from the Flash Gordon movie as Flash Gordon. Uh, but he's also done some incredible other work, too, from everything from Ted 1 to Ted 2, the Highwaymen TV show. And some stuff I want to talk about, too, was The Spirit, which is very fascinating. But uh, a lot of people don't know that Sam was also a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and is actually working in the security field now. And so this is a uh, – you kind of check off a lot of boxes that I love talking about. <laughs> well, well th- thanks a lot for having me, John. I enjoy doing these. Uh, we're, we're pretty much uh, – not right now, but we, we just made a big move. Uh, we bought a bigger property out in San Diego. And, uh, you know, with that, there's so much to be done, you know, uh, all the contractors, all the renovations. So yeah, this it's nice to take a break and 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 do this with you. And I read a little bit about you and your company. I'm very impressed. Awesome. Well, thank you. How have you been dealing with uh, COVID itself? Obviously, the last years kind of probably well, you, throw both your industries into kind of disarray. Yeah, but you know, we as as military guys, as uh, security professionals, we part of our deal. Our training is we adapt, you know, we adapt, <laughs> and then, and and that's what we do. Plus, uh, I think it was, uh, I mean, the actual virus itself obviously w- uh, was not a good thing. But like my dear friend says, with every every storm that starts, it's going to end, you know. But uh, adapting, you know, we it brought us uh, obviously at home a lot uh, more with our family, but. Uh, it, it would, the crazy thing is, I, I got I, I worked uh, a lot up until I mean, as far as uh, traveling a lot, I was traveling quite a bit even uh, during the time uh, domestically. A couple security ops, but even doing some, you know, I I, I crossbreed there with the uh, the security industry and the movie industry. Right. So I had a lot of personal appearances. Uh, some of the states where the guidelines were, were not that strict. Maybe we were outdoors. Um, uh, for, for these big, you know, I do, I've done a lot of comic book conventions, comic cons, and I, I, I love doing those. And um, a lot of guidelines in the regulatory environment was to, as long as you're under a gigantic tent or you're outside, uh, then I got to do those. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, we, we just had to transition and, and adapt. I love I that. Love that. <laughs> One of the cool things I think uh, is that when you jump in the security world, has there ever been a situation where you're on a detail and someone's like, man, you look familiar? Like, has that ever been? No, it's a great question. um, No, not really, because I'll tell you why. Most of the protectees, most of the principals that I was protecting, um, a lot of them really don't even have time to even look at movies. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the craziest thing or they're, they're, they're looking down at their laptop or their iPhone. Um, but what happened, it was, it's a funny story, John, I'll make it quick, but I was, I was driving this one, um, executive. He was a big, big COO of a huge multi-billion corporation. I was doing a lot. Uh, you know, I, we moved to San Diego because I got the offer to help take over the cross-border security operations. Awesome. Into the, into the, from, so from San Diego, into the border cities of Mexico, 
and then we would come back at the end of the day, usually. So I was driving this one executive. Uh, you know, we I think at that time we were just we were doing three car. I think this was, was a two car uh, a motorcade, a lead vehicle, and a chase vehicle. And he asked me. I think it was at SeaWorld, You know, uh, he asked me. He says, Sam, no, I want you to make a U. I want you to go in there and make a U turn. I, I forgot something. I want you to go back. So I went into the SeaWorld parking lot and I got to the gate and I looked at the and the security guard. I remember we, we were we had level six uh, armored uh, SUVs, so you know the windows would only go down about this much. Right. Um, and I could tell as I pulled up because I had to ask the security guard to open the gate so I could make my U-turn. And you could tell, you know, he's staring at me, he's looking at me, and that mind is ticking. And he goes, he goes, I know you. You know, I said, look, I, I said, young man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working here. I, I, I got the. I got the jefe, I got the boss in the back. Can you open the gate? I, you know, we, we made a wrong turn. I, I need to turn around. And all of a sudden, John, he screams my name. And I'm not making this up. He not only screams my name, but in about eight to 10 seconds, he screams out about 20 of the films I've done. He goes, you're seeing Flash Gordon, the spirit, the highway man, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy, right? And then... I, I said, I, I said, please, please, just I got to go. I have a, I have an emergency. So he opened the gate. Oh, and at the very end, as I started to drive, as I'm rolling my the little bit of my window up, he screams out. He said, "I'm an actor too." I said, Only in California can you get this right. So all of a sudden, I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm making my U-turn, and it's you could hear a pin drop in the back seat. And, and, and the boss, the principal was, he's just dead silence. And he said, Sam, he said, is all that true? I said, uh, yes, sir. In, in my other, in my other vocation, you know, I was in the movie business for a lot of years, uh, you know? Yeah. And he said, oh my God, I've seen a lot of your stuff. He said, thank God that you've been on my detail for the last six months and you proved yourself as a security professional because I would have a problem knowing that an actor was protecting me. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of times, I mean, that was the first time it really wasn't him recognizing me as much as somebody was, you know, yakking away and bringing that to us. But yeah, that's the whole thing. As long as we can prove ourselves in whatever line of business that we're doing, there really isn't uh, any issue uh, unless um, you know, and, unless it draws more attention to our protecting, if, if that's the case, of course. But, you know, again, everybody is so the heads, you know, the, the, a lot of them have tunnel vision. A lot of the principals have tunnel vision. And uh, and of course, you know, we we do everything. We, we, we dress like our, you know, we're not unless right. I, I took a couple teams, force protection teams to the Philippines. And that's a whole different story. Uh, uh, you know, finger on trigger. Uh, but usually we're blending in. We're dressing like our bosses. You know, uh, we could look like part of his business associates a lot of times, you know, just uh, very low key and very low profile. But the thing you don't want to do, unless they ask, a lot of times in a in a hostile or high-risk environment, they, they want high profile. They want people to know right. uh, that there's a team around them with their fingers on the trigger, you know? One of the interesting things is that I've noticed that 
sometimes there's former UFC fighters or boxers that have their own built-in following, but then they start doing security when they're once they retire or something, and yeah. you're kind of like, are you just there because you're the UFC fighter because you knock people out? I don't think people realize, and you said it best, there's a lot of training, time, and dedication that goes into being a good security professional. And so for you to do that transition, like you, what is some of the stuff you had to do, whether it's the California Guard card, there is certain weapons training. Yeah, you got to have it. Do you know even active duty cops, are you ready for this? Even active duty cops in California have to have a basic security guard card. It's the craziest thing. Right, through the BCIS. You know, if, right. if they're allowed to work privately, private security, they still have to get a basic guard. But, yeah, you know, it's a liability issue, and I got it. But I, I, I'm sorry, John, you were asking me about – when you mentioned guard card, my, my mind went – No, I, I, I love it. I'm so, I'm so enthralled that I'm talking to you, of all people, that could actually – knows what I'm talking about because uh, a lot of times guests aren't really aware of the security industry, but it's cool to okay. hear from you. No. So there's a lot, you have to put a lot of time and training into what you do. Oh, and so all the training. Yeah. So uh, what's some stuff you had to do? Well, you know, all, all the uh, tough guy stuff, but a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people want to get into the security world because they want to go to a hostile or high risk environment and, and they want to hurt people. <laughs> You know, look, we're all trained in deadly force and non-deadly force. But most people that don't understand the security field, wait a minute, we are trained to run from the fight, okay? Now, we can fight. We can fight and we can take some people out fine. But guess what? If we're doing that, it, the only time you should fight in any security environment is if you don't have a way out. Well, then if you don't have a way out, you really screwed up bad because your objective is to have a way out of escape. But our, our job is to cover the boss and evacuate. In other words, run from the fight. So if you ever have, I mean, you know, and I, I teach this a lot. I know you, you, you teach it. I, I love teaching it. It's just basic common sense stuff, uh, situational awareness and, and all that. But you never, whether you're walking, whether you're driving, whether you're sitting in a restaurant, you never block yourself in. And then and then let's say, I know this has happened to a few other people before, that you're at a restaurant and, and some guy, uh, and, and you go and you walk away, even a step away from your protective, from your boss, and you address this with, you know, trying to neutralize the threat. Uh, well, now guess what? Your boss is open for a secondary attack. I mean, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's just it's a lot of it is common sense. But as far as the tough guy stuff, rarely do they want us walking around with our chests out, you know, right. and say, hey, hey, we are a, see we're in a diamond formation, we're a security team. All that does is just create more. And I was trained by I think the best, and, and the only reason why I say it's the best, uh, David L. Johnson and Jake Ashton and Gail Erickson, and and they really started. Uh, ITG, International Training Group, and what makes them that they sort of they set a precedent back in the 80s and the early 90s. They were the first private, they came out of the army. They were the first private sector security force that was contracted by the governments, a couple different governments right. to protect heads of state. So they were the first. I mean, they were private instead of using their own government forces to to protect the heads of states in Bosnia and Haiti and 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 uh, uh, here th th they brought them in. So they really they they've been through the whole world and uh, all over the world and and a lot of the do's and don'ts, you know. And and yeah, 
I mean, we, we could talk about this for a long time. But no, yeah, I love that. It's just common sense stuff, John, that, that people have to know. You just, your, your whole objective, if something goes down, is to, your whole objective in your advanced work. And the crazy thing, John, is the similarities between making a movie and running a security operation. It, it's so, they are so similar, almost identical. You don't start a, a security operation or a movie unless 90% of the work has already been done. In your advance, uh, or your scouting, uh, you know, your, your, your preparation. So, yeah. Yeah, it's always fascinating. A lot of times people ask me, like, what's the toughest part of your job? Well, part of it is the advancing because, hey, if you're going to this Hotel A, well, how, where are you parking? Where are the exits? What elevators are being shut down? What other ways are in there? Is it press out in the lobby? What? And so there's a lot of that stuff where it's like you have to depend on a lot of the assistance of local people. Sure. But if you have the right team and mindset like that, it's it's fun and hard, but it, it's so worthwhile once you can accomplish a mission like that. Amen. Yeah. Now, if you're going to say the mall or the restaurant with your family, loved ones, friends, are you always in that mindset where? Back to the wall. Hey, if there's an active shooter, I'm doing this. Is your mind always running like that? Always. It's scary. Yeah, it's – and it's – I mean, I've been that way b before I became a security professional. I, I tell people, you know, they ask me, well, tell me about you. And, I, you know, within a few seconds, I say, well, I've been a country boy, uh, a southern boy, country boy for 66 years. I've been a Marine for 48 years. Uh, I've been an actor for 43 years. And I've been a security pre uh, professional for almost 20 years. So, yeah, we, we had this little de a deal with part of the team, especially down in Mexico, where we do, you know, all these resorts, all these vacations, you see. And, and we had this deal, meaning, hey, I want to take my family down to Puerto Vallarta or Acapulco. Well, you see, I can't, I, I can't go out on the beach with my family and lie down in the sand and close my eyes. <laughs> I can't, unless I got a buddy next to me. Right. Who's watching his sectors. Okay. I just can't do it. I, in other words, you're right. I, we can't relax, John. It's crazy. Right. We can't relax. And it's the same thing. And, and here's what carried over from running these, these, uh, these high profile or running teams in high risk environments is uh, even with your family driving out to the mall or driving down to the local deli or something. I'm on. I'm, I'm in my offsets. I'm looking for a way out. I'm I'm studying people's, you know, be, a, a behavior. I, I mean, yeah, it doesn't stop, but I love it. And I and I always tell this. I've been telling my kids this since they were two years old. Now my kids are, you know, they're 36, 31, 23, 21 and 19. And I've been since they were very young. And now that two of them are married with kids, you know, they used to laugh at me and said, Dad, you're too much. Now, two of the kids are married with kids, and guess what they're doing, John? They're doing the same thing to their kids, and I love it. I love it. One of the interesting things that you kind of talked about is like the Comic-Cons. Well, the San Diego Comic-Cons, world-renowned. And so when you're there, as say, say you're there as a, a guest, like, hey, anniversary of Flash Gordon or whatever, like this is Sam Jones, you have your booth, you do your thing. Is it weird for you to be in that situation where you're – playing you yourself, but not there. Cause you have that security mindset too. Right. So and that's such a massive undertaking that I'm always kind of curious, like the, how that kind of, how you mentally kind of deal with that. 
You you mean when I'm a right? When you're a guest, if you're I'm a guest, things, taking pictures. Oh yeah, right. I'm always watching their hands. Matter of fact, I mean I I can't help it. I don't care what environment I'm in, what environment I'm in. If someone walks up to me or to my table, whatever I'm doing, and their hands are in their pockets, let's say deep pockets, like a big coat, and I I, I say, excuse me, I'm sorry, but can you take your hand out of your pocket? <laughs> they said, what? You know, <laughs> I mean I. You know, it, it's just the way it is. Um, but y yeah, I, it, 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 I'm always on. Uh, but then again, you know, I'm there for the people to serve the fans, get a picture with them, sign an autograph or whatever. So and um, it's yeah, it's it's hard to separate. But again, see, I'm in a position. I think I'm the only actor in the, one of the few actors. I don't know too many security professionals that are also working actors. But you see, I'm I and I'm about to implement this in one of the projects I'm doing. But I could, when I'm hired for a movie, I can hire myself to protect myself and get a little bit more income. Okay. Yeah, it's smart. <laughs> so yeah, I can hire myself to protect myself. Okay. Uh, it's it's you know obviously it's, it's kind of a joke and a pun, but um, I just picture you walking through there, and one of my big no nos is don't if you're if you're working, don't be on your phone or eating. Like look the part, be the part, be attentive. You're walking through a hall or hall H at Comic Con, you see a guy on his phone that's supposed to be helping with your meet and greet. I just picture you right now, just kind of snap and go, hey man, like that that person being like, well I'm the security, not realizing you actually know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I mean, look, uh, it comes down to I don't want to say that there's a lot of bad security professionals out there. Right. I want to say that they weren't trained properly. That's the problem. And, and, and there, there's a couple of dynamics. One, one of the there's two things I want to address as far as the security team. One is um, and I'm really good. One, one of my and I'm not you know, I'm just saying I'm really good at what I do, especially talking about the do's and don'ts of uh, being part of a security team. And and uh, part of my training, when I first started out, with 20 guys in a room and some ladies, and then I'll never forget it. It, it happened three or four times on the first day uh, where the instructor, I think it was David L. Johnson, said, okay, look at the person on your left. Look at the person on your right. If you have an issue with them, you, you better you better." freaking F and address it right now or all three of you are out of here. So, okay. And I'm, I'm getting it now. There's a bit of a, you know, bumping heads, you know, um, bumping heads with, uh, and then it happened another two or three or four times. I thought, Oh, there's a lot of issues with security professionals um, where they have to. So the issue is, no, it's all about me. You know, it's all about me. Uh, so, uh, uh, I, I tell people, here's the deal, okay? It's it's about having a heart. If you want to be a really good security professional, have a heart to serve others. You got to be humble. Humble yourself. And, and the crazy thing is a lot of these uh, security guys, uh, they want to be celebrities. Isn't that weird how that works? No, no, I'm serious. They want to right. be the star of the show. If, the, if we're not in a hostile environment and the boss says, hey, Sam, can you bend down and pick up that bag or that suitcase for me? Oh, no, sir. I'm a security professional. Okay, so I have to reach my weapon. Now, that's bull crap. You've been down there and you say, yes, sir. Uh, yes, ma'am. And you pick up that shopping bag or you pick up that briefcase for them as long as you have um, a one right. free. Yeah. I've seen guys fired because they 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 wouldn't pick something up. Again, 
I'm not talking about a force protection team. It's just right. I'm not taking your luggage up to your hotel room. What are you talking about? There's another guy with you. You have an open hand. Like, yeah. But our primary purpose, other than what we discussed before about leaving a way out, our our our, uh, primary uh, purpose, uh, really in in this is uh, is uh, just having a heart, having a heart to serve, and getting your ego and everything everything else out of the way. Uh, but really, most importantly, I think it's protecting the contract. Okay. If you lose the person, the protector, you have no contract. If you have an attitude with the team, and this is what I address, this is what people bring me in for a lot is to uh, uh, address any division, identify any division within the team, address that immediately. And if someone's got to go, someone's got to go. But if there's any division in a team at all about you know, the alpha stuff, uh, then that's going to spread like a cancer. And I've seen it, John. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again. Competition on who the boss thinks is the best security professional on the day. That's nonsense. Right. In fact, the more humble you are, the more value you bring to the team. Again, now we're not talking about, you know, being in Iraq or Afghanistan, finger on the trigger. Uh, we're talking about just a just a normal. It could be. It could also be high-profile guy where he's had threats on his life, he or she. But yeah, you. If there's any division on a team, man, I've seen team. Matter of fact, I was I was brought. I was asked uh, for this job in Mexico um, for the cross border because an American team, okay, screwed up really bad, and they were, you know, how do I say this? They were dating the boss's secretaries. Okay, <laughs> you know, are you kidding? In you know, at this at in Mexico at this big billion dollar company that was doing business in Mexico. So we were brought in. You know, all this stuff about it, hugging and kissing and saying hello, and uh, it was it was it's just the craziest thing. Um, we are not celebrities when we're working security operations. We are are people there strictly to serve the boss. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. So yeah, I, I, I love addressing. I love, I love uh, not only addressing any division amongst the team, but really fixing that issue and fixing it uh, immediately. So have you always had a love of security? Was it the start of the Marine Corps that you kind of fell in love with security? Can I do full circle? Um, I think I had it before just, you know, with my family. I, I mean, it, it just, it came, it's something that comes natural. I don't know, but I think behind any situation, you know, just being aware of your surroundings. Uh, uh, and then of course I, I, I've, I've taught this, to, I, I taught the uh, one year, a couple of years ago, uh, locally here, we have Miramar, the Miramar air wing. It's a Marine Corps uh, military uh, air wing, right? Yes. They were sending their military, the Marine Corps, the military police division was escorting their general to Iraq. And they brought me in. Are you ready for this? They brought me in to help these warriors. I'm talking about sergeants, gunny, uh, staff sergeants and gunny sergeants to teach them to transition while they're in Iraq. In other words, if someone attacks them, they are to transition not engage the, imagine trying to teach a warrior not to engage the enemy, but grab the boss and evacuate him because they had a whole nother team of a, of a hundred Marines that were there for, to, to neutralize the threat in a big way. Um, 
so I, I I loved it. I loved it, and I proved them wrong. And it was the best day of my life when I kept watching this. You know, this all has to do about watching your sectors. No matter if this is my sector here, I don't care what goes on over here. I don't care if there's gunfire or whatever. That's some, especially if you're in a diamond formation. That's somebody else's job. Well, I kept watching this one Marine here. I think he was a, a sergeant. And every time there was a noise over here, the boss was in the middle. We're doing our formations. And every time he heard a noise, he would turn his head this way. I said, I'm going to assassinate the boss. Okay. So I, uh, I called him up. I was in the tower and uh, I called him over and I said, listen, um, I want you guys to go back. I want you to reevaluate what you just did, but you need to know right now, I'm going to assassinate your boss and there's nothing you can do about it. And they said, oh yeah, right, Sam. Sure. Try it. So, you know, we're, we're using uh, the plastic Sims and the paint, you know, and you know, Sims, plastic Sims. Oh, yeah. You got to wear protection, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, and I knew I would probably get killed too, but I was going to take out the boss. So I, I, I had my training knife, you know, big rubber knife. And here's, I, I told, I told the guy with me, I said, look, when they reach this one point where there's the big 55 uh, gallon drum on the left and the one on the right, I want you to get over there. I want you to make a little noise when, you know, the, the middle of their formation reaches Just make a little noise on the drum. And sure enough, here comes the formation, right? And as soon as he made that noise, the guy that was right here, supposed to be watching this sector right here, period, no matter what. And he made that noise and he took his head that way. I dove over the back of his neck with my training knife. And I put that in the blade of the Hefe's neck about five, six, seven times, you know, a rubber knife. Right. All, all, now, after I was done, they lit me up. You know, when you're doing with Sims and paint, paint, you're not supposed to shoot any closer than 15 feet. Well, you know, they were probably, they were right there. And I got lit up. They got me good, but I took out the boss. So from that point on, I was so thankful they were shocked. They were absolutely shocked uh, that I uh, that I addressed it. And they went, to, guess what? They went to Iraq. They had great success because, and there was a, there was a couple encounters where they, where, where the bad guys came in to take out the general and they, they followed their training and uh, yeah, everybody, everybody did, did, uh, did a great job. So things like that, I'm very, very, uh, you know, I'm very appreciative of people, people listen. Because the first thing you want to do, especially if you're a warrior, is go right. neutralize the threat. Take out the threat. Hurt them really bad. Well, you, you see, that's not what we do, man. That's not what we do. What's interesting <laughs> is that your character in Flash Gordon is like one of the first time I saw a superhero that didn't have any superpowers. So it kind of, I guess my question is, how much is Sam Jones like the Flash Gordon character? Because it seems like you described everything that you would want. Yeah. It's scary. scary. It's scary, John. There's no difference. <laughs> There's no difference. I mean, maybe the hair color, maybe, but well, yeah, no. But right. I'm just saying. I, I mean, there really isn't because he, here's the deal. Who is Flash Gordon? Seriously. Well, number one, he's one of the few superheroes. He does not have any superpowers. Number one, right. he's just a guy. He's just a guy, and he's vulnerable. You're vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. So I think that's what makes it work. That people understand he's just a guy. And he doesn't sit there, especially nowadays. Well, I mean, you know, it's not as though Flash Gordon is running a security team, but it—it it just, you know, it's—it's it's right there. It's improvised, adapt, 
and overcome, right? I love that. That's also, there's three little mottos, and that one actually is Conor McGregor's. You know, I'm, I'm not much on his foul mouth, but my God, this guy has got it. But that's his motto, is improvise, adapt, and overcome. And then special ops, as you know, is uh, speed, surprise, and overwhelming uh, violence. I love that one too. Speed, surprise, or, or I like to say surprise, speed, overwhelming violence. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's uh, that's what we... <laughs> it's fascinating, the cast. I read that you actually were in competition with Kurt Russell and Arnold for the role. Obviously, you got it. But the, when they do the synopsis of Flash Gordon, football player, big, tall, muscular, it's like, could they have picked a better... Like, how was there any comparison for you? Like, there, it's very unique that that character really is you. Yeah, well... Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, again, he's just a guy. Right. You're talking about Flash Gordon. Right, right. It just, yeah, again, I mean, look at how he had to overcome. I mean, he didn't sit there and think about, well, the bad guy's coming now. Let me assess this. No, it's just, or a lot of times uh, somebody else was being attacked. Innocence was being attacked. So you just address it immediately. You don't sit there and have a, a council, uh, council meeting or get somebody else's approval. Uh, you, you you address the situation immediately. And I, I think also me personally at that age of 23, 24, having a, um, a purity. Right. In other words, Hollywood had not tainted me yet. You know, there was a, a, a naivete, you know, very naive at that age. And I think I think the producers and the director, trying to get rid of that white light there. Is, is that bothersome or is that okay? No, it's all good. Okay. Anyway, uh, I think the producers saw this naivete about me, and uh, that's what worked for uh, for the character. You know, he was confident, but he wasn't arrogant, and um, everything was simple for him. Just the the thought of purity. No, there's an innocent person being attacked by a bad guy. Let me go help that person. And I think we need to. And there was no nowadays. What do we do in real? What's going on in real life? There's two things going on, and I'm not talking politics. I mean, there, there's issues right. with both parties right now. It's ridiculous. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, he, in other words, Flash Gordon, me, you, uh, we're not thinking about fear. We're not, we're not oh, I don't want to, I don't want to commit to that because uh, someone might write me off. Well, look. When we're in private sector security, yes, there's liability. We can't put our hands on anybody unless they have a weapon, usually, okay? And that's what I love about We talked about training earlier. There's this really cool training that CDT, I'm sorry, that, um, uh, CDT is the training um, uh, that ITG taught us, but everybody takes it. Uh, uh, yeah, C, what did I say? Compli yeah, CDT, uh, Compliance Direction Takedown. CDT, compliance, direction. Now, what does that mean? So if I'm protecting you, John, and all of a sudden someone just comes up to you uh, and they shake your hand and I'm, I'm next to you as a PSO and they won't let go of your hand, well, I'm not going to snap their kneecap, okay? <laughs> okay. Right. They just, they're overzealous. So how can I get the hand out of the way? Let me get up here. I just We have a technique. You, want, you just grab the thumb. Let me see, get it on camera there. You just 
grab their thumb and you push it back and you just keep walking them down the line if he's shaking hands. It hurts a little bit, but the guy's going to release. Maybe someone's hugging too much and they and they won't release. You just come up behind them and you pop, <laughs> you pop them, or maybe you twist his little love handles, little twisties on the love handles, okay? You pinch him, okay? You pinch him. And then he releases. Oh, he releases. Um, and there's other little, little techniques. So you, we're not hurting people. So if they do call the cops on you and the cops come, you say, yeah, that security guy. What, what did he do to you? Well, he pinched me. Okay. <laughs> so uh, a compliance direction takedown is one of the best training I, I ever had. And uh, and, and, and you got to have it. You, you got to do it. And then, of course, there's all the other uh, deadly force too. But but the non-deadly force, the especially uh, uh, CDT, is one of the best things. And, and I mean, we went through it, John. We got to some serious pinching, if you know what I mean. In other words, you fall on your back and a guy's over you. You reach up and maybe, uh, you know, between his groin and between his kneecap, you grab the inside of that flesh and you twist or maybe you twist under. Maybe you twist. Let me get it here. Under here, down here. And I mean, at the next day, you are purple. I mean, you were purple. Right. So those are those are great techniques that I love doing. It shocks people. And, and you know, you know, the boss isn't going to you know, there's no liability issues. No one's going to sue you or, or sue the boss. But if you're not doing private sector, obviously, you have a license to basically do what you want to do. The documentary Life After Flash, I thought was very interesting in the fact that it's obviously about you and like the character Flash and what you've done since. But. Just hearing you talk, it's you you have so much more to offer. Is it weird to have a documentary done about you while you're still like forging a, a new career path or maintaining the level of excellence that you're used to? Yeah, that, that that was kind of disconcerting when someone came to me and said, Hey, we want to do your life story. So my first reaction was, Well, wait a minute, I got a whole lot of life left in me. Right. You're still living. Yeah. <laughs> and and really, I mean, I I I, I love this. You know, everybody thinks when you're 20, 30, if, when you're 20 and you say, oh, I don't know about, God, when I turn 40, my God, I don't know what that's going to be like. Or when I turn 50 or when I turn 60. Well, let me tell you something. At 66, what I'm trying to say is, John, I love this time of my life. I wish I had listened to other people and, and made other choices uh, over the years. But it is what it is. I can't go out and run a marathon at 66 right now, you know, for a record. There's certain things. Now, I can still do physically. I can still do a lot of things that even my my, my kids can't do. Climb ropes and stuff like that. The, the, all the, you know, all the macho physical stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have the speed I, I, or running that, that I used to have. So we adapt. Um, but, yeah, I just uh, – it's um, – it's, uh, I, again, I just, we are who we are and let's just bring whatever we have to offer. Let's just bring that to somebody's life and let, let it pass on. You know, I think I went off on a rabbit trail. No, I, I, I love it. You were so, it's so, uh, basically how did, like, would you, I mean, I'm trying to. Yeah, we're talking. Well, I'm just, I just so enthralled by your lingo and like you know what you're talking about with security. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's awesome. So I'm forever grateful to that. It's, 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 see, it's easy stuff. It's, it's everybody tries to to find the great mystery. You know, Um, when when I teach this stuff, people say, you know, 
Well, why did they attack you? Why they? I have no idea, and I could care less. <laughs> I could care less. I could care less why they tried to attack us. I could care less why. I'm not going to sit there and 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 let somebody else let the behavioral forensics guy figure that. And by the way, that's just a fancy word for how somebody behaves. You know, behavioral. Right. And and we we you know we you and I look at that every day on people. And we have this you know we have the duck theory. If a guy, again, not we were, I was talking about this before, not being able to move forward or react based on fear. It's either fear or ignorance. Well, we're not ignorant anymore. But, well, we're only ignorant in life if no one's trained us or told us this is how you do this. You don't do it this way. This is how you do it. So we can't, we can't cop out on ignorance because we've been trained. Well, what's the other what's the other thing that's going to hinder us? Well, that's usually fear-based. We know what to do and what not to do, but now we're operating in fear because we fear leadership repercussions, we fear the government doing something. You know, you can't do that. You might be isolated, you might be whatever. Well, we can't operate as a as a society like that. Yes, we need to follow rule, especially with COVID. We need to follow rules and right in, in the regulatory environment. But yeah, no, we we, we got to, you know, I, I think people nowadays are so hungry. What are they hungry for, John? They're hungry for practical, for common sense and practical thinking. It's that, that's it. There's no great mystery. Common sense, practical thinking. And that's how we, even in security operations, even in making movies, it's uh, again, it's so similar, just life decisions. Without, we're, I, I saw this great documentary. You got to see it, John. You got to get your viewers to see it. Uh, minimalism. Uh, I, no, yeah. Uh, uh, just minimizing your entire life. In other words, go through your, go through your, do you know there's over 300,000 items in your house and in my house right now? Minimum, 300,000 items. So, as far as the physical thing, I pick up something. I pick up this. Well, why do I have, why do I have six remotes? Okay, I don't need six remotes for one TV. Okay, so the same thing with things, with stuff. All right, we go through. I only really need two, so now I've just eliminated four. Imagine three hundred thousand items. We should get that down to a couple thousand, maybe. It's the same thing in life and our choices. Why are we, you know. Here's, here's major corporations trying to teach us, oh, if we don't go buy this now, and by the way, if we push a button, I can have it delivered in 12 hours or 24 hours. But if you don't buy this right now, Mr. or Mrs. Consumer, you don't have any value in your life. You can only have value in your life if you, so this is the, this is the human condition that we're faced with right now. Let's, let's eliminate all that nonsense. Let's move forward. Common sense practical thinking applied to everything. How have you, or how do you kind of deal with, or when did you finally realize that your your work at Flash Gordon would last basically till it's now, years down the road still, how important is that to your, I mean, obviously your legacy, that's a great character and stuff, but how important is that to you that people still appreciate that character and how grounded he is in humanity that, that people still flock to watch the movie or see you at a convention and stuff like that. That's a great question, John. Yeah, uh, I, I refer to uh, excuse me. I refer to 
Flash Gordon as a triple blessing. Now in our business, excuse me, whether we're whether we're security professionals or you know truck drivers or doctors or uh, actors, uh, the first blessing is if we get hired. Right. We get hired to do a security op. We, we get hired to do a movie. That's the first blessing. If that project we do does well, that's the second blessing. Does well. Well, with Flash Gordon, the triple blessing is longevity. That's why we're talking right now. Longevity. Are you kidding me? We filmed it 41 years ago. Okay. So it came out, but they only, they, you know, they, they judge it because uh, this is our 40th anniversary. They judge it the year it came out. Uh, and, the, and the cool thing about Flash Gordon's, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary now, that it opened Christmas 1980, right? So 2020 is 40 years, but it carried over into 1981. So now because of COVID, I had quite a, a few of the cast members on board to travel the world, do the reunion tour, wow. and that's been put on hold for COVID. But now we get to carry it over into 2021, and I'm excited about that. But yeah, we're up. Uh, it's uh, it, it's uh, I love it. And it's uh, again, uh, as the days go on, the weeks, the months and the years. Yeah, it's something that uh, even and of course, because of Ted and Ted, too, um, I brought in the, the 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 younger generation that did not see Flash Gordon. Well, when they saw Ted, um, even when they tried to refer to the title of Flash Gordon, uh, and, and and they can't think of, of the name they refer to it as. You know that movie that Queen did the soundtrack to. So uh, what's happened recently because of Ted is is I've now added on that younger age demographic uh, on on the fan base. But yeah, it's it's never people love it. You can't you can sit there mathematically and try to figure out what what works for the culture. Uh, the pop culture and society, and why do they still love Flash Gordon? But I, th I think it's common sense thinking. Why do they love Flash Gordon? They love Flash Gordon because he's just a guy. Yeah, he's just a dude, just a guy. Perfect. He's just a guy. Now, were you the were you was you as Flash Gordon and Ted Ted Ward? Was that the first person that Seth MacFarlane thought of when it came to like kind of a pop culture I, icon? I, I believe that's what he told me. Yes, because you know it's what you saw in the movie is what he. Just awesome. Well, he, you know, he grew up. He told me on the, the initial phone call, he said, hey, Sam, this is uh, Seth MacFarlane. And uh, when I was nine years old, I saw your movie and it changed my life. And I knew I, I wanted to be a creative, uh, creative guy when I grew up. And uh, so that's why I tell people in training also be, be, you know, you hear a lot of athletes or professionals say, well, I'm not a role model. Well, whether we like it or not, we are role models. So we need to be very careful of our behavior and what we say and do through, through our lives. Because imagine, here's Seth MacFarlane, nine years old. Um, and uh, as the years go on, you know, he now becomes, he, he, you know, he, he becomes a, um, an icon. He becomes a decision maker in the movie business. Right. Who's the first person he turned to? And he, you know, and I, I think that it's, it's unbelievable how that works. Now, what if I was somebody else who has some attitude issues, okay? You know, or who was uh, just uh, arrogant. And when he spoke, he didn't build people up. He broke them down. Well, that's, we don't have time for that. But he called me. Isn't that amazing? He called me because I had an impact on his life. And that's what we need to do, John, just pass it on. 
passing on to somebody else so so they could be doing the same thing. And uh, to circle back, we said about security earlier, like you never know who's watching you, listening, yeah. or doing doing what you're doing. And so you always have to maintain that, be that good guy, good girl, no matter what, even if no one's watching. Yeah, and then laugh. You know, got to you have to laugh. You got to smile. You know, I mean, we take we take. I mean, but even though when I started in this in the my first job, I was so serious, but I, I did laugh. It, it, you know, I did laugh. And the more uh, the more the operations went on, then, then the more we you know we had to have a sense of humor. I mean, because John, you take twelve guys, okay? You take eight guys. A lot of times we had between eight and twelve guys running operations with advanced teams here, there, uh, surveillance, counter surveillance. But at the end of the day, when the boss is secure at whatever location we were at, and we went into our command post wherever we were, and here's eight to 12 guys. And, you know, so, uh, a lot of times we had the ladies, uh, but you put them in a small command post, okay, with all this alpha, alpha juice going. And let me tell you something. If you don't have a sense of humor, uh, then, uh, then you, you, you're not going to make it. If you're so serious, you're not going to make it. So we did. You have to learn. You have to learn to uh, laugh, not during the. Sometimes you know you may have to during the operation too. If the boss is doing it, if you're trying to blend in, you know. Right. Now let me ask you this: Are you a gear guy when it comes to state of the art new stuff? Are you always trying to do gadgets to kind of help you work? Well, yeah. I, mean, I read up on on what's what. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean it's you know it's a, yeah I mean it's all about radio communications. But again, before you go out there, you want to have your team. It depends on what your budget is, especially if it's private sector. It comes down to budget. You know that in private yep. sector, it's all budget. I mean, there's times where it's just been you know it's been uh, just me, okay, and the boss and a chase vehicle. Now that's you know that's not a secure package. You know we yeah. we were secure packages as uh, three vehicles, um, but um, it, it, you have to adapt. I mean, it is, it's the budget, you know, especially if you're, uh, yeah, if you're in certain places, yeah. So before I let you go, one of the cool things I was reading up on you is when you're in the Marine Corps, you're part of the American Football League, and you, your goal was to kind of try out and join the Seattle Seahawks, or Seattle, yeah, Seahawks, and uh, so – how did that were you always the, the star athlete that wanted to push himself like that or like well, obviously it's a quick story how that transition happened but i joined the marine corps in 72 to be a lifer i started playing uh, marine corps football and i said to myself oh i'm good i'm so good i think the professional league needs me so i did my my first hitch and that was it yeah in uh back east and then i went uh, i was an amtrak guy so i was in north carolina so uh, I went to Seattle because that's where my grandparents were. And I said, I'm going to try out for the Seahawks and I'm going to make the Seahawks. So I tried out. And at the end of the tryout, they said, thank you very much. We don't need you. Okay. <laughs> so I said, but you don't, you know, in my mind, I said, you don't understand. I, I wanted to be a lifer in the core, but I left because of blah, 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 boom. And I, because I want to play ball anyway. Uh, it's amazing, John, if, if we don't get so down on ourselves or down on other people, especially pointing fingers and blaming them because that was not the case. Uh, the bottom line is if we just face facts, face facts, I wasn't good enough. And also the other fact is maybe the good Lord had something different for me. So my point is in any situation, no matter who we are, or what we do, if we, if we, ex if we believe in a little bit of light and a little bit of hope for our future, then 
the good Lord will open maybe a window or another door for us. But I was pretty down. But the next day, this little door, this little window opened. So after I was not accepted because I was told I wasn't good enough, basically, right? This, I did, All of a sudden, I don't know how I got it, but this article was thrown in front of me about Clint Eastwood. I read this article on Clint Eastwood, and I thought that inspired me so much. I, I didn't say, oh, I can do that. I said to myself, because remember, this is now 76, 1976. So that meant Clint Eastwood was already in the movie business for 22 or 23 years. So I said to myself, I don't know if I can accomplish what he has the last 23 years, but I'd, sh I'd sure like to go to Hollywood and give it a try. That was it. And guess what? That was my destiny, man. That was my day. And I did that based on that. And things happened like boom, boom, boom. But it wasn't like it fell out of the sky. I had to get a job immediately, you know, get a waiter. I had to get a place to stay. I remember my first apartment. I could literally uh, lie down in the middle of the floor. I'm, I'm not making this up. I could lie down in the middle of the floor and I could touch both walls with my arms. Wow. Okay? Like a big walk-in closet. It was bizarre. And then uh, I got into a good acting class and then boom, you know, got an agent. And I mean, it just happened like this. And that's when you know. I mean, there's indicators that we look for as as human beings, as professionals, you know, obvious indicators, you know, and there are some obvious indicators that this is where I belong. No matter what people are telling you, I believe that this is where and this is how I conduct my life now. Number one, uh, foremost, I believe that this is uh, that I believe that this is where. God has me. This is my destiny. This is my purpose in life. And if we believe that, I don't care what people say, okay? We're to stick to that no matter what. And then, and then, but we need to apply ourselves. We need to, you know, do those things. We need to go to work. We need to get a job. And that's, and that, that was a big turning point uh, in this transition to also becoming a security professional. We need to stick around people who really tell us the truth. See, really tell us the truth. I remember almost, what, 18, 20 years ago, I was waiting by the, and this is important for anybody right now listening. This is a life changer, John. I remember waiting by the phone for six or eight months, uh, waiting for a movie job. And my wife said, uh, you know, you're a, a talented actor, but I've been watching you for the past eight months. The phone's not ringing. We have three kids in diapers. There's the door, husband, don't come back to this house until you're providing for this home. Damn. Now, that, yes, thank God. Rather than having people patting you on the back, telling you how great you are. I was not applying myself. I was waiting for things to fall from the sky. That's freaking madness. Uh, and or I was making, and here's the, and I, I believe half the guys in the world, including me at that time, uh, I was living in insanity. Here's the insanity, John making the same choices and decisions, the same redundant choices, expecting a different end result. That's freaking insanity as a guy. That's freaking insanity. Yep. Change our choices if we want a different end result. So my wife said, get out and come back when you're a provider. So then that's when I realized in my mind, wait a minute, guys, all of us listening right now, hold it. And this is for guys, all of us guys. 
that we can't say, oh, I'm just an actor. Oh, I'm just a security professional. Oh, I'm just a doctor. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just a truck driver. No, we have to say I'm a working man and I'm a provider for myself and my family. That's the mindset. But if we stick to this one vocation, we're in big trouble. So I went out there. I got a job. Are you ready for this? In my late 40s. Let me see. I'm see. Yeah, in my late 40s, I got a job on a construction site because my buddy owned a, a construction company. And I was good. I mean, I'm doing construction, if you can imagine that. And every now and then someone will say, you know, you looked like that guy flashed. And I said, yeah, I get that all the time. <laughs> so there was the there was the other dynamic going on. Humbling yourself, getting another job, no matter what it is, legal job, per, being a provider for you and your family. And this same, now this attack, this personal attack of, oh, yeah, you were once a big star. Now look at you doing construction. Well, you know, you got to let that go. And then if you if you let that go and you just commit to your priority, in other words, again, the society, human condition, how about, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only good if people say I'm good. Social media, look, see, they say I have no value unless I do this. No, we got to eliminate that crap. Who cares about that? There's no value in that. The only value we could bring to the table as a man is to be providers. Do the right thing, be providers. Stop stop pointing fingers and blaming the world. It's not their fault unless they have us chained up, chained up in a dungeon somewhere. We're not. We're free. And once I got a hold of that, and I knew I knew John that I, well, I couldn't do construction the rest of my life. So then I called an old, old military buddy and and got uh, I said, what do I need to do? to do this private sector security. He goes, you got to do this, man. It's going to take you probably six months. I got it done within three months. All my certifications, all my executive uh, executive protection, dignitary training, I got all that stuff done and got it done. And and then uh, what's the next step? Is when you get it done, you op- you be an excellent listener and you, you, op- you operate uh, with the spirit of excellence at all times. That's it. That's life. <laughs> I love that. Sam, this was awesome. And uh, yeah. we'll have you on again, too, because I, I have so many other follow-up questions now. But I love your positivity, your the idea of you being a working man. And I think it's something we should all strive for. And, uh, you got to be a working man. It doesn't matter about – it doesn't matter what other people think, okay? Let us be the example, you know. Uh, let, let us be the example. We have to be. We're not out to prove anything. Again, it's – Everybody talks about Hollywood, Hollywood. You know, it's about provision. I think everything we do is about provision. It's about providing. No, this is awesome. Well, thank you again, Sam, for everything. Do it, man. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon. Got it, buddy. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, and NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. <laughs>